You're listening to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Aaron Klein. You know, I, I, start, I start this morning, and probably rare for a pastor, uh, I would say, like, I feel as though I am at a loss for words. And the reason that I say that is, over the course of this past week, some of you uh, may or may not know that I, I have spent uh, the majority of this week in San Francisco. Uh, I was at a church planning conference called Exponential. Uh, it's a conference that I've been to a number of times when we have uh, been down in Florida. But I was asked on behalf of our presbytery if I would be willing to go uh, with a group of people and to spend some time at this church planning conference. And one of the things that really hit me while I was there was the point that as much as this is about church planting, what they were saying is churches really can't plant churches unless you are a part of a disciple-making community. Uh, disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. Uh, disciples who are passionate about evangelism and sharing their faith in Jesus Christ. And so it was a reminder for me, you know, one of the things that we say, you know, as a church, we have had conversations. I know some of you may not know this, but we've had conversations as a church, uh, at least at a staff level, uh, what would it look like for us to be a church that's planted churches? We've, we've had some of those conversations about some of the opportunities that have arisen in our community, uh, but it really hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, but yet our church has been involved in different church plants that have been around the area, yet we haven't sensed that God is calling us to do anything yet. But yet, what I also recognize is that as a church, would we even be able to plant a church? Because, first and foremost, if we're going to be a church that is planting churches, what we have to understand is we need to be a disciple-making community. right? We need to be a missional community first that is making disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. And the reason that I say this is because I have to tell you, I have been convicted over the course of this past week. And the reason that I say that is because when, when Nicole and I planted our church in Florida, you have to understand everything that we did was based around relationship and mission. And so we were constantly meeting people and inviting them over to our house. We would meet people and instantly would say, why don't you come over to dinner? Let's come on over for dinner. Let's come on over for dinner. And we would meet people that way. We also were involved in gospel conversations over lunches, where we would meet people and we would say, hey, we really want you to come and let's spend some time together. Let's talk around these things. We saw the way in which God was on the move in that community, and I saw more baptisms in that time than before or since. And I think what it was a reminder for me is I have gotten away from some of those things that we used to do. I mean, I will admit that I don't know my neighbors two doors down. I don't spend a lot of time in gospel conversations with people out in the community anymore. You know, we're not in constantly inviting people into our house anymore. Now, yes, yes, I'm involved in a weekly Bible study that meets in a, in a local retirement home. Yes, I'm involved in things like the YMCA Live Strong program where I get a chance to walk beside people who are battling cancer. And in that process, I do get a chance to share with them the gospel on occasion. But here's what I recognize is that in the time since we have planted our church, instead of being focused around missional life, in the years that have followed, I have become more of a manager. I manage a church. I manage programs. I manage moving from Sunday to Sunday. And I, the course of this week really convicted me. Say, we need to move beyond managing churches to making disciples. Who make disciples? Who make disciples? And what it has done is it's made me think more about how can we empower you 
and equip you to be missional communities for you to look at where you are as an opportunity to share the gospel. For where you are, to see how you are the pastor of your family, how you are the pastor of your community and where you work, that you could even be the pastor of your own block. For you to be thinking constantly of how can I be a person who knows that I am on mission. To, to be someone who understands that you are a multiplier. Now, that's not to say, one of the things I've recognized is that as a church, I am so grateful for you. Because I am so grateful for the way in which you are a missional church. You, you love to serve the community around you. You know, you love to care for the people that are in our community. And we see the way in which this is a church that is so giving of its finances to give to mission around the world. And yet, how are we doing when it comes to being missional within our own neighborhoods? To the people that we work with. To the people that are right around us. And I think perhaps what's also kind of shaking me up a little bit this week has been the fact that the passage that we're using for this morning, I had chosen some months ago, is the same passage that one of the speakers at the conference spoke on, and it's the same passage that Joe Lozier chose for his funeral on Friday. And you know, it got, it got me thinking, Presby saw four people go home to be with the Lord this week. Four of our saints were called home, as we'll see today, as sheep. And yet, I thought about that this week for the number of people from our own congregation who have passed, when that veil lifts between this life and the next. You know, I spent a lot of time at the obituary sections of some of the different newspapers and some of the different funeral homes. You know how many people have died in our community in recent days and weeks? And I want you to understand, every single one of those people either died with Jesus or they died without Jesus. And that in and of itself should break our hearts. That, that is something that should compel us, that moves us to look at this world differently, to have the kind of heart that Jesus had. You know, one of the things that one of the speakers said this past week is, when is the last time that you actually wept over the lost? When was the last time your heart actually broke for the people that are around you? You know, this past week, when you turned on the news and you saw the story of a gunman going in and killing mass amounts of people, we see the things that, you know, the tragedy that happened in the massacre in Israel and the response that has come. I want you to think about what was your first response? Was it about gun control? Was it about, well, you know, politics? Was it about the geopolitical situation that's taking place around the world? Or was it around the fact that every single one of those people who died either died with Jesus or they died apart from Jesus? That ultimately is what should break our hearts. It is what should drive us to desire to pray for the souls of the people that are around us. The problem is, why doesn't it? It's because we have a heart issue. We know what we should be doing, but we don't do it because we have a heart issue. This is how we spend the majority of our time, right? We scroll through things. We worry more about, you know, who's going to be the next Speaker of the House? Who's going to be the next President? 
when in the end what really matters is Jesus? And are we proclaiming the hope that is in Jesus' name? And are we showing them heaven? And what that means, what feels, we got to get back to what matters. We need to look at every opportunity as, as a chance to share the gospel. It's an opportunity to be having these gospel conversations, to know that every conversation, every person that we meet matters. Because they matter to God, these people should matter to us. And we have to ask, is what breaks the heart of Jesus, what breaks the heart of ours, our hearts? Because when Jesus looked over Jerusalem, what did he do? He wept. Do we weep over Warsaw and Winona Lake in the same way? Again, by the way, this isn't to guilt you. Guilt is a terrible word. <laughs> what I pray is that the conviction that I felt this week, that in some small way I can impart that to you. To think about the ways in which, yes, our, our church is giving missionally to our community and to the community around us. But I want us to think beyond giving our finances. I want us to think about how God is calling us as individuals to be on mission together. You and I are called to be a city on a hill and a light in the darkness. We as a church are called to be a hospital, right? We are not simply to gather those who are already well, but to be a place for those who are sick, for those who are hurting, and for those who need to hear the hope of Jesus. And what I pray is that this morning, if in some small way I am able to impart to you this reminder that I have been given this week to say, how are we as a church being called to gather together in order to be a church that scatters into our community and to the ends of the earth? Now this morning, some of the greatest ways that we communicate these things are through stories. And this morning, I want to share with you a story that some of you may already be familiar with. I've talked about this one before, yet what I want to do is to remind us of what it is that we are called to do, what our passage is calling us to do, and then to give you an update on where this young man is so that you can see when you and I choose to step into the life of someone else, what it is that results. I'm going to tell you a story about a young man named Kyle. It was Adriana's birthday, and she was little. We were living in Florida at the time. You know, when our kids have their birthdays, one of the things that we offer to do is say, hey, where do you want to go out to eat? So we'll take them out to eat, and they get a chance to go wherever it is that they want to go. Adrian didn't want to go out to eat. She wanted one of her favorite meals that Nicole makes, Hawaiian chicken. And so she had her meal, we were sitting there at the kitchen table, and where our table was, we had a window here that looked out to a street, and we looked on a corner, there was another street here, and we had noticed that there was this young man who had walked into our neighborhood and walked right in front of our house and sat down on the curb. Now you have to understand where we were living, we lived kind of further back in a subdivision, nobody was really coming back there because our streets, both of those ended in cul-de-sacs, Nobody was coming there unless they had a reason to be there. So when you see this strange young man sitting on your curb, you start to wonder, is he okay? Like, what's going on here? And so you start processing this. Well, do we go and do we talk to him? Or do we continue to celebrate Adrian's birthday? We're eating dinner together. But eventually we thought, no, we really need to go and find out, is, is he okay, what's going on? Now, he was a young man, kind of high school, college age. He was a, looked a little bit stronger, so I was like, go ahead, ladies, you go out there and talk to him, right? <laughs> no, right? It was like, okay, it was going to be my turn. So I went out there and I said, hey, are, are you doing okay? What's going on? And he began to share with me his story, how he had come down from New York in order to surprise his mom. But... When he went to see her, he discovered that she wasn't there. She was actually on a cruise. 
And so he had come down to surprise her. She wasn't there. He didn't have a phone. He didn't have any other money. Uh, and so what he was doing is he was living on their back porch, on the lanai, for the course uh, of the past couple of days. And he knew that he needed to get back to the airport, but he didn't know how he was going to do it. So I thought to myself, well, I, I don't know what, what to do. I said, well, do you need a phone? Can I give you a phone? And so I gave him my phone and, and let him make a few phone calls to see if he could uh, get a ride somewhere, try to figure some things out, and he, and he couldn't. So then the conversation became, well, I wonder if he's hungry, if he's been living on his parents' back porch. Like, I wonder, does he need something to eat? So we start to have this internal conversation inside the house while he's making these phone calls. Like, well, do we invite him in for, like, dinner? Or... Do we say, well, why don't we just take him a, a plate of food, and let's take him and we'll put it outside for him, and he can eat it there. We talked about it, said, no, you know what, we need to bring him in. So we brought him in, and he sat down at the table, and he began to eat. And man, did this kid eat. He had to eat for a while, you know? And in the course of the conversation, we got to hear a little bit more of his story. We saw the way in which he had come down, the way in which he didn't have anything in order to get back. And so we started to say, well, man, how are we going to get back to the airport? None of his friends were answering the phone. Nobody was going to come to his rescue. We thought, how are you going to get back to the airport? It's like an hour and some odd minutes away. And we thought, you know what? We cannot let you just be on your own. And so then the question arises, well, do we allow this kid to spend the night in our house and maybe get murdered? I don't know. <laughs> Or do we say, hey, let's, let's put him up in a hotel. So we say, hey, here's what we'd like to do. I'd like to put you up in a hotel tonight. And I say, in the morning, if you come to church, uh, I'll have one of our members pick you up. They'll take you to church. And then afterwards, we often went out to lunch afterwards. So we have to tear things down. We're going to go out to lunch together. And I say, if you come out to lunch with us afterwards, we'll treat you to lunch. And then I'll drive to the airport. So we did all that. He's like, all right, I'll do that. And so we had a member pick him up, came to church with us, uh, he came to lunch with us. Again, some great conversations. And then, over the course of the next hour, while I drove him to the airport, Nicole's like, please be safe, please be safe, right? You know, I'm like, okay. But he talked about his kind of spiritual journey that he was on. How his love for Zoroastrianism and how he's studying all of these different things and how he's not quite sure what's real and what's not. But for the course of the next hour, I got to hear his story, and I got to share with him a little bit about why I do what I do and, and the hope that's in the gospel. And before I dropped him off, I said, hey, do you mind? Can I pray with you? He was like, of course. And so uh, I prayed with him. Now, there's more to the story that I, I want to share with you, but suffice it to say, a couple of days later, his mom showed up at our house just in tears. And sharing exactly what was going on in his life, how he was actually on the run from the law, and how it's really, as you'll hear, the grace of God that was at work within his life. Now, the reason that I share these things for, with you, and I'll share with you the conclusion oh, a little bit later on, but I want to ask, have you ever had one of those moments? Right? Where you sense the Holy Spirit is nudging you to do something. To, to maybe, you see somebody on the side of the road, and they have, they have a flat tire. And, like, on the one hand, the Holy Spirit is like, you should stop. But you're like, oh, I'm sure they'll be okay. You know, <laughs> like, keep driving. Right? Or, you're like, well, you see an accident. You're like, well, should I stop? No, I'm sure somebody else is, is making that phone call on their behalf. Right? We probably all have those moments when we come across somebody. Maybe you're at the store and you see somebody crying. And you're like, oh, I hope they're okay. But, you know, I guess I'm just going to take my shopping cart to reach out. And we do choose to try to offer a cup of cold water to help somebody who's in need. Now, maybe sometimes you do that. And then you're like, well, that person wasn't very grateful. You know, I did all this, and they didn't seem to respond in the way that I thought that they would respond. So sometimes we get a little cynical about it. And then what begins to happen over time is like, well, you know what, I, I don't know if I'm going to bother helping this person because the last time that I helped, uh, you know, I didn't quite get the response that I thought that I was going to get. And I think what we need to remember is that... You and I, no matter what people's responses are, no matter whether when we feel the tap of the Holy Spirit, we're called 
to be a people who live on mission, right? Mission is not just something that pastors do or leaders do. It is something that every single one of us is actually called to do. And by the way, mission isn't just something that happens over there. That if I just put a little bit of money in the play and I think about the mission that's happening over there, then I've kind of done my job. Those are all good things. But for us to be thinking about how is Christ calling me to invest and get involved in the life of somebody else. By the way, Scripture tells us we're going to be judged by how we do these things. Not to scare you, but as a reminder. If you've brought your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them up. We're going to be spending some time together this morning. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to be looking at verses 31 to 46, a passage that many of us are familiar with. Like I said, I had a specific direction that I thought I was headed this morning, and then just with the course of events over, the court, over these past couple weeks, it's just kind of thrust us all in a slightly different direction. Hear now the reading of God's Word. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to their eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Quite a passage, isn't it? Now, let me at least share with you a little bit about this passage, how we are called to a life of generosity. Let me at least give you a little bit of context to understand what it is that we've just read. You know, as Jesus is speaking with the people, he's using things that they would be well familiar with. He's using sheep and he's using goats, things that people of that day and age would have known very well. Now, it's interesting to know that when shepherds would keep their sheep, the sheep and the goats would graze in the same field. But when they came in at night, what would happen? The sheep with their warm wool could stay outside, but the goats would end up being brought inside. Sheep were more valuable because they provided wool instead of just meat or instead of just cheese. And when the king gathers in the sheep, notice what he does, but he casts out the goats, right? In today's day and age, people want to be the goat, the greatest of all time, right? So there's arguments about, oh, who gets to be the goat? I want you to understand, according to scripture, you don't want to be a goat. You want to be a sheep. Right? And so this is what Jesus is talking about. And by the way, to be set on the right side, we talked about this before, is a place of privilege. And it's a place of honor. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. To be placed on the left was to be considered the lesser. By the way, also notice 
that it is sheep and goats that are together, not sheep and wolves. Right? Wolves, obviously, are a problem. They've got to be dealt with. They're going to eat the sheep. But notice that in this case, there are goats among the sheep that think they are sheep, but they are actually goats. And, and that, in and of itself, should serve as a bit of a warning. The question is, how do you know the difference, right? How do you know whether you are a sheep or whether you are a goat? Well, just as a tree is known by its fruits, we are known as sheep by the life that we live, by the fruit that we bear. Now, I want you to make no mistake about this at all. Jesus is not saying that we are saved by our acts of kindness, right? I, I'm wearing this shirt today, as Andrew has already said, right? <laughs> Mark Luther, what did he do? He nailed it. We don't worship a person, but he reminded us that we are saved by grace through faith. That's what saves us. And that's what we need to focus on. Not about works. It's not about works righteousness. Yet, what do we do? It's out of our faith that you and I desire to work and desire to live our lives on mission. By the way, Jesus doesn't make us sheep or goats. He says he divides us based on whether we are sheep or a goat. And so what he sees is simply an expression of what is already in our hearts. In fact, you know it's not a works-based salvation because when you look at this passage, the people are actually surprised when the king says to them, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. The people were like, wait, what? Like, when did we do these things for you? Like, you can tell. You're not like, yeah, we did these things for you so that we can be invited into heaven, so that we can be sheep. Right? They, they didn't do these things so that they could be saved. They were genuinely surprised that their faith that works, it's faith that saves them. It's the works that flow out of them. And because of that, I think there's a couple of things that this passage really draws us to. And the first is this. God calls us to loving service. God calls us to loving service. You know, the first thing that this parable teaches us is that God is a God of love, right? For God so loved the world. God is holy, and God is love. Scripture really reminds us of that over and over and over again. Right? The holiness of God, as well as the love of God. And by the way, this love, as it is used to describe God, it's not just warm sentiment. It's not just what we see in movies. It's not the Hollywood expression of what love is. Love is not just some primal urge. Whenever love is, it was seen in God, it's always a love in action. Right? For God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave. He gave his only son. This is the demonstration of God's love. He doesn't just say, well, I love you guys. He says, here's the proof. And I'm giving you my son, Jesus Christ. It is tangible and it is recognized. When God's love is poured out, there is no mistaking it. And because we are the children of God, we should reflect him. You know, my children take on my tendencies and Nicole's tendencies, right? They, they are a reflection of us, good and bad. Some of their mannerisms are some of the same mannerisms that I might have. Some of the speaking patterns might be the same speaking patterns that I have. The point is, if God has shown us a demonstration of his love and we are the children of God, we should reflect him by the way in which we live. By the way, notice what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 to 3. 
We know we love God's children if we love God and obey His commandments. Loving God means keeping His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. We see that we are called to loving service. Notice, second, God calls us to simple service. Simple service. Think about the things that Jesus was talking about. Feeding the hungry, providing water for the thirsty, clothing the naked, caring for those who were in prison. None of these things, by the way, require a lot of skill. They don't even require a lot of intelligence. You just have to want to do it and be able to help those who are in need around you. They're the kinds of things that any of us could do. As we have been freely given, we can freely give. And any one of us can do these things. It doesn't matter about money or strength or time. And notice, by the way, Jesus doesn't call us to fix the entire world problems. He calls us to care for one person. When you and I change the course of one life, you have no idea how that changes the course of not only that person's life for eternity, but how it might challenge and change someone else's life for all of eternity. We were saying that, that you and I in this series have been invited to be on mission. How are we being called and invited to be a part of God's gospel movement here in our community, to which I believe he wants to do more in us than we have ever thought possible to change the community that's around us. But we do it by showing love one person at a time. Now I want you to understand though, even though these are simple acts of service, it doesn't mean that it won't cost you anything. We recognize there's a cost to engaging people with the gospel. All of these things have a ring that we've read today of compassion and showing kindness and gentleness and, and patience. But I want you to understand, it's more than just writing a check to someone who's in need. You really have to start thinking, Lord, who are the people in my life that you are calling me to reach out to? How can I be praying for the people that are around me? And Lord, yes, it may cost me something, but I'm also willing to do it. Are you willing to become personally invested in the lives of the people around you? See, I want you to understand, it would have been far easier to go out to Kyle and say, hey, here's 20 bucks. I hope it gets you where you need to go. Anyway, he probably would have been thankful for it because it was at least something. It cost a lot more to personally invest in him. But we get to see the blessings when we live our lives for gospel mission. We're called to loving service. We're called to simple acts of service. And I want us to understand God will bless our service. God blesses our service. Now, I want us to understand we're not called to bless others so that we can be blessed. Right? This isn't like, okay, I'm going to do this, and then if I sow my seed, I'm going to get something back, and uh, all these blessings that I'm going to get as a result. See, we already have the promise of the greatest blessing, the promise of eternity. But when you and I choose to invest in the life of someone else, the joy is we do get to be blessed. You sense that there's something about this moment of pouring into them where you sense, even as much as I'm giving to you, I'm sensing that I'm being blessed by this as well. Now, and maybe you don't think that it's meaningful. Maybe you don't think that it's really making a difference in the life of somebody else. And sometimes when we choose to bless others, we can get a little bit cynical. Right? We've all had those moments. Well, that beggar on the side of the street, if I give him money, he's just going to spend it on drugs and alcohol. That person with the sign, he should get a job. He should be able to get a job. And what do we do? We, we've helped people in the past, and we've seen what's happened when we help people in the past sometimes, so then we get cynical. And we say, well, you know what? Why, why should I bother helping somebody off? The danger is, 
We don't want to be those. You know, those people that maybe are saying, well, like, when did I see somebody who was sick? Or when did I see somebody who was hungry? No, we, we serve. And when we serve, God blesses us. And I'm telling you, it, it, is, it is such a blessing when we choose to do that. You have no idea what happens when we choose to bless others. So I was saying, I was already convicted this week. And so one of the nights, we, uh, this gentleman that I was traveling with, we went out to dinner together. And we had stopped at this uh, southern barbecue place. We were like, hey, this looks like a good place. So we went in. There's nobody in the restaurant. And so as we pulled up, it's already like 8 o'clock at night. It's a little bit later on. But they're already staring at us through the window. I'm like, oh boy, here we go, you know? So I walk into the place and uh, start talking. And let me tell you, this guy was I mean, he was from Southern Alabama, and uh, I'll leave it there. He was a character. So while we're sitting there across the aisle from him, across the counter, talking to him, and uh, asking him what's good, what's not good. So we start talking to him a little bit, and then I had said, like I said, I've been convicted. I, when we got there, I said, hey, we're going to sit down, and we're going to pray for our meal in a second. How can I pray for you? And he said, you know what, I've got a procedure coming up. They're going to go look at my neck. Something's going on there. Uh, I really appreciate it. You would, you know, pray for me. I said, all right. He said, but you know what? I'm not going to do it when I eat. I'm I, yeah, I would like that. And so I prayed for him right there. And then for the next half hour, this man was our friend. <laughs> and while we ate there, he talked to us. And he talked to us. And he talked about his service in the Navy. He had talked about the way in which he had worked his way up and was in charge of a ship, how they partied hard, but eventually he got a bad review. And so he quit. And I'm telling you, we left that place that day and I said, if that man was in charge of the nuclear codes, Lord help us. Right? I mean, you see a guy that's a character like that, and you're like, holy cow. But here's the point. If we live there, I keep going back. Because that relationship that had started, and we learned all about his business, all about his struggles, these were opportunities for mission where we would have gone back on a daily basis. Well, not daily, I can't eat that much barbecue, right? But we would have gone back to continue to minister to this guy. And that's the way in which I was blessed by it. I was blessed by the encounter because as much as I have been saying in my own mind, I've got to start living differently. I've got to get back to doing what I had done before. This side doesn't like me, sorry. So anyway, of living my life on mission, I'm going to pray. And when I prayed and I saw the way in which it blessed him, I was blessed. Because <coughs> I'm like, yeah, Lord, I know. This is what I need to get back to. And so I think the challenge for us is to think, how can we live our lives on mission? And I'll admit, oftentimes, we make excuses. And it's a mindset. It's a heart mindset. It's having a heart for those who are hurting around us. I want you to understand, we haven't been called to do everything, but we can do something. And sometimes we can do just one thing. And you have no idea, when you bless somebody else, how that brings on into eternity. Now, how can we do that? How does this passage challenge us to live our lives? A couple of things. First of all, you have to be able to answer this question. When the king comes to you, are you a sheep or are you a goat? By the way, you can know. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe that he lived he died and he rose again for your salvation over your sin and death. You can know without a doubt that you are a sheep. And the way in which that gets confirmed is then how you choose to say, Lord, I am living my life for you. Give your life to Jesus. Know that you are a sheep. Second, in order to live this way, you and I have to have a shift in our mindset. I will admit, the reason that I have not gotten to know my neighbors two doors down is because 
I'm busy. I'm tired. Right? Uh, this week, right? You know you're in San Francisco. Get home at 2 a.m. on Friday. Have to do a funeral at 10 a.m. on Friday. And then have to head down to Terre Haute for cross-country state meet. You know, it's busy. But it's an excuse. I need to stop worrying about how busy I am or how little time I feel like I have. And I need to reach out and get to know the people that are around me, start engaging in gospel conversations. And that's why this week I've really been challenged to say every store that I've gone into, God, who are you calling me to minister to today? Every restaurant I've been in, how can I pray for you today? They're not big things little things, but they're easy things that we can do, and I, I, I'm committing myself to really try and start doing that, and everywhere I go, and I'm going to encourage you to try to do the same, to live your life on gospel mission. How can we do that? Well, think about it this way. Bless people. Bless people. The way in which you do that, begin with prayer. Lord, when you wake up, who are you calling me to reach out to today? And you pray. Pray, like, Lord, who, who is in my orbit? Who do I work with? Who are the people that are around me? Who are my neighbors? Who will come into my store? Whatever it is, begin with prayer. Listen to their story. You know, people don't want to know how much you know about things. They, like, they notice when you stop to listen. Like, share with me what's going on in your life. Ask them, what, what are some of the greatest joys, some of the greatest pains you're going through right now? Like, listen to their story. Uh, eat together. Man, incredible conversations happen when you choose to break bread with someone else. Like, when you sit down across the table and you share a meal, it is amazing how barriers and walls begin to fall down. There's just something about that so... Invite people over into your home. Go out to eat with people. But whatever you do, share a meal with them. Then what? Serve. Find out the way in which they need something. Serve them in some way. And then what? Share your story. When the opportunity arises, then you get a chance to share how the gospel story has intersected with your story. And then you just begin to share how Jesus has made a difference in your life. You don't have to pound on somebody's door. You don't have to say, hey, I've got this gospel track. You know, can I share this with you today? You don't have to ask somebody, are you a sheep or are you a goat? Right? Do life together with them. Get to know their story. Share a meal. And as you get to know them, share in acts of kindness. And I guarantee you, when you do that, you are going to get an opportunity to share your story. So what are some of the things that you can do this week? Uh, you have a neighbor who could use a meal. You may not even know it, but life is busy, life is hectic, it's crazy. Bring somebody a meal. It's a simple thing, and yet I'm telling you, it goes so far. If you just show up at somebody's house and say, hey, I felt like I, I needed to bless you with a meal today. I want to encourage you, invite people into your home. I've been challenged by this. This is where, how we used to live our life. And now I've been reminded, we've got to get back to this again. You know, we have to stop seeing our homes as a safe haven from the world. And to start seeing them as safe havens for the world. And I get it. I'm tired just like you are. When you're tired after a busy day of work, the garage door goes up, the car drives in, the garage door goes down, and you're like, oh. Now, I'm finally at home. I'm in my castle. What if you lower the drawbridge and stop seeing your house as a castle, as a safe haven, and started inviting people into your home? By the way, it used to be, uh, when I would see a moving truck in our neighborhood, I'd say, hey, babe, I'm throwing on my shoes. I'm going out there, and I'd help move people in. 
right? You know, it's just like when you pick up a box, you just help people as a stranger. It just moves towards gospel conversations. I want you to think about uh, when you go out to lunch, you know, you're having lunch here today. When you go out to dinner later on, uh, do something simple. Ask yourself, hey, uh, I, I'd like to pray for you when I pray for my meal. How can I pray for you today? scary. It's not that. It's a mindset. It really is. We, we, we put ourselves in a mindset that says, oh, I can't do it. All right. We're in some time for some audience participation. Uh, I have some Kroger gift cards here. Who likes to shop at Kroger? All right. I, uh, okay. All right. Kroger. Who likes to shop at Alice at Kroger? Okay. Uh, who likes who likes Kroger? I do. All right. Here you go. See, you speak. You do not have because you do not ask. <coughs> who likes Meyer? You gonna go to Meyer this week? All right. One more line. You work at Meyer, so look at this. All right. Here we go. All right. Now, here's the thing. Those gift cards aren't for you. They're for somebody else. <laughs> What I want you to do is I want you to go into that store over the course of this week or the weeks to come, and I want you to pray before you go into that store to say, Lord, reveal to me today someone that you are calling me to minister to. And when you go in, look for that person. I, I promise you, God will reveal it to you through his Holy Spirit. And... When he does, you're going to take those cards and you're going to go up to that person and say, you know, I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm a part of WEPC and I felt called to bless you today. And you're going to give that to them. Say, this is $20 towards your groceries. I, I want you, now here's the thing, I didn't tell you this. Those of you who took them, might you be willing to share a testimony in the weeks to come? of how God used that conversation for something that you didn't anticipate. Now, maybe you didn't get a gift card, sorry. Go buy one. <laughs> Give it away. Beloved people, you, you and I have no idea what happens when we choose to live our lives in gospel conversation. I want you to see a picture of Kyle. <laughs> Kyle was one of the last baptisms that we had an opportunity to do before we left Florida. He would have been on a long journey, a journey that involved drugs and selling drugs, a journey that had him in the eyes of the law. The reason he had come home to say, was to say goodbye to his mom. Because he thought for sure he was going to jail for a long time. And the judge chose to show him favor. And he did. And Kyle eventually gave his life to Jesus. Do you know what Kyle's doing now? He went to seminary. He's a pastor. He's pastoring at a Calvary chapel And you know what started it? Going out there and seeing if the kid was okay. When you and I choose to live our lives on mission, you have no idea how it can impact the life of someone else and how that will ring on into eternity. But we have to see ourselves as a missionary outpost and not just to say, how can I get people to come to my church? We want that. Believe me, we want that. But how can you be released to live your life on mission right where you are? I love the fact that as a, as a congregation, we get to meet together like this today. I, I love the fact that we're welcoming new members into the life of our church today. I love the fact that we get a chance to eat and fellowship and share a meal with each other today. 
but who's not here yet? Who's supposed to be? And how are you and I being called to live our lives on mission? One of the people, my prayer for us is that we will be a gospel-centered missionary community, and I'm praying it's going to start with me, and that you're going to be trained so that together, this is not about creating another program. Lord knows the church doesn't need another program. It needs people who are choosing to live their lives on a mission to share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be a people who are raising our hands and who are saying, Lord, here I am. Send me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have called us your very own. That, Lord, there is nothing that we do to earn, nothing that we do to deserve, that it is a free gift of the gospel that you give to us, and then you call us to go and to live our lives on mission. Lord, we thank you for how you call us to do that. Lord, even this week as we celebrate uh, Reformation Day, but we know the world thinks of it as Halloween, and so, Lord, in our own houses, to be able to be light in a dark world, to be able to just pour love into each one of those families and children that walk past our homes to make our homes homes of peace. Lord, to think of ministries like Kairos that are going into the prisons to do exactly what we've heard about today, to care for those who are in need. And God, we pray that you will bless ministries like that, that more and more of us will stand up to say, Lord, yes, I will go wherever it is that you call me to go. And Lord, maybe this week it's just to have a simple conversation with someone. To say, how can I pray for you? And Lord, as we do so, to not only see the way in which their lives have been blessed, but the way in which we have been blessed. Like Abraham, blessed to be a blessing. Lord, may we choose to bless others in the name and the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that in his most wonderful name. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening, and check out our other discussions and messages. To learn more about Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's worship services, ministries, and events, visit us online at warsawpresby.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us, and have a blessed day.